Welcome to Link to the Cast, episode 149. My name is Mark Robinson, I am the platforming prodigy, and I am this week's party host. With me as always, I have the Roman Reigns of the podcasting world, Jack Lazell. Jack, how are you? I'm alright, mate. I've uh, I've come back from from Samoa and, and hitting a bunch of futuristic robot soldiers with some weapons, and I'm ready to rock. How was Idris? Was he was he in a pleasant mood, or did he just you know punch you in the face? Well, he attacked me, but fortunately, I had a pistol concealed in my moustache, and I got him back with it. You, so. can't, you can't grow facial hair. Don't give me that. Hey, I'm Roman Reigns. <laughs> that's true. I forget that sometimes. Last time yeah. I saw you, I was like, oh yeah, you are Roman Reigns. Yeah, exactly. What's uh, what's up? Obviously, uh, Dave Ryan is away on uh, assignment this week, so it is just me and. Uh, the one true Jack, and uh, yeah, how are you? I haven't spoken to you in a little while. What's up? Yeah, I'm not bad, mate. Yeah, good. Yeah, just getting on with with the world, watching a lot of movies. Um, football. football seasons back. <laughs> very, very satisfied with that. And besides, besides actually back. watching Chelsea, there's nothing satisfying about that at the moment. Hey, yeah, that's just you know, it's a process, Mark. <laughs> you, know, you, you got you got to be on board with the process. Um, and yeah, uh, sport, uh, it's getting cooler, which makes me happy because it means I can start wearing cool jackets again. See, it's not getting cooler here. It's just getting wetter, which by kind of process of that means it is technically getting cooler as well because the sun just isn't showing up, but it's just, it's more wet than it is cold, which I guess I'm fine with either way. Yeah, I, uh, I, that's Island man over here. It's just humid for a while. And, Honestly, then it's, and then it's autumn. That's kind of how our summers are. This summer in, in England has literally just been humidity. I, I do think, and then it will be cold again. I, I do think the biggest difference between Ireland and England, uh, or the UK in general, is that the weather is just slightly more schizophrenic here because it will just go between rain and snow and sun and thunder and an F5 tornado just like within half an hour. Um, where You're we... saying like the weather's so cutting edge, it'll go out of date every three hours. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Whereas back home, it's at least a little bit more like, okay, this one day it will be rain or this one day it will be sun. Uh, but you, you can't fucking plan for anything over here because yeah, the weather's just a little bit more chaotic. With all this weather bans, we're about as edgy as a Satsuma at this point. Uh, I feel well... like we should be set, setting things on fire or something. I, you know what? After 149 episodes, what is there left to talk about? We might as well get to the weather at some point. Ah, uh, fair enough. Yeah. Well, let me bring it back around to something a little bit more contemporary, or a little bit more, you know, in hip, in line with what the kids are watching these days. Uh, I watched uh, Stranger Things three, or should I say, I finished Stranger Things three uh, as I started watching it a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I either will binge watch something or I'll watch half of it and then come back to it like four weeks later which was the case with this here and uh, did you have Stranger Things is that a thing that you've watched I, I don't think I've ever had that discussion with you before 
I watched Stranger Things series one, and then I didn't watch two, and obviously haven't seen three yet. Um, somebody said two wasn't that good, and I was like, oh, I'll catch up with it eventually, and then that was just, you know, the, the old future bias again. All right, well, uh, so two was a little bit long, I think, at points, but it did do a good job of expanding on the, the world of... Uh, Stranger Things and the town of Hawkins and the characters and uh, you know like the character of Will who's just very much the the MacGuffin if you will the first series who just disappears and you know he's what the the, the central anchor point of the story is on even though he's not around that much he's a lot more present in the second series and they you know do a lot more with uh, Eleven and uh, yeah, it's just they do a good job of fleshing out the characters a lot more, and and where some characters are uh, pricks in the first series, they become a lot more likable in the second series, and new friendships and relationships are formed. And I don't know, I, I I really enjoyed uh, the the second series, and the third series expands even more on that, uh, I guess. Um, but it does a couple of things where it it definitely does lean a little bit heavier into. Uh, certain tropes of the 80s, shall we say, where obviously the, the show itself is very much indebted to the, the 80s in its presentation and just the, this time it, that it's setting. Um, but it has, uh, I'm not even going to say a homage, but just a very much, hey, here, here's a Terminator character because we should probably have one uh, that is so on the nose that it could break it if you leaned in too, too far. Um, there is what's the other thing? There's something else. Oh, uh, so the third series season goes very heavy with like the Cold War and Russia and the Soviet Union and you know Russia are the other bad guys uh, in a way that I was not quite expecting because I think if I remember <laughs> they they kind of dabble with that in the second series. Uh, but they... This has taken a big right turn from the show that I watched in the first series. Yeah, yeah. They... Where it was a bit of an homage to Spielberg and that classic sort of 80s sheen of weird movie. Yeah, I mean, that that is still there, but they have just bolted on to the side like a really poorly implemented gazebo, this whole uh, Russian base thing. And I think part of it is because they have all these additional characters now that they need to give all of these characters stuff to do so you've got two people who are focused on investigating like what's going on in this small town and, and uh you know trying to find the, the story trying to discover what's going on you've got the the kids who've been kind of split into two groups to have their own things that they're doing you've got one character from last season who doesn't fit into any of the other groups so they have given him something to do although i think what they do uh, with the character of Billy, they actually do really, really well, and they kind of expand on his character quite a lot. So I think actually he was a, a success in what they do overall. Um, and then there's uh, Winona Ryder, Winona Ryder's character, and um, uh, Dawkins. I think I can never remember names. And they had their own thing, but it's quite similar to what's going on with this other group of characters when it comes to the whole. Uh, the Russian side of it so it very much does feel like they've had to add these extra bits and pieces to uh, facilitate the the larger the expanded uh, characters they have so um, though that that is very much it feels like it's kind of forced I don't think that you know I didn't I, I enjoyed the show I enjoyed the series uh, it's eight episodes and it flies by you know uh, 
there was one or two episodes in the second series that made that thing dragged, and there was one particular episode that really felt out of place, and um, it was, you know, uh, it was there for a reason, but it felt like its own episode, just totally off to the to the side. Where... Is it kind of one of those bottle episodes, like the um, the fly episode of Breaking Bad or something? Uh, I didn't watch Breaking Bad, so I don't have that as a reference, but from... Okay. Uh, but sure, I mean, uh, I, I guess it probably sounds similar enough. But it's just it's just this one episode that uh, just doesn't fit tonally in any way with the rest of the series, and they don't do that with um, with this series. It just kind of flies through, like all the stories are, are following each other, and it's just it flows really, really well. So uh, you know, I've seen some people say that they think it's the weakest series so far. I can kind of see why. With anything. You know, past that first season, you're always going to lose a little bit of that magic touch. Um, and <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the the fourth uh, installment of The Matrix that's been announced, but, you know, something like the original Matrix is kind of a good comparison as well, where that first one is just completely mind-blowing, and by the third one, you're like, ah, I'm not too sure about this. So, um, but they continue, for me, the most important thing, the, the friendship between Dustin and Steve Harrington, uh, which was my favorite thing that they established in Series 2. They're current in Series 3, and uh, it's a good time. Um, and the new character they add, who is the daughter of Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, that I wasn't aware of, which made me and Dave feel incredibly old. Uh, she plays a character called Robin, and they do some stuff with her that I really like. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, if you can get yourself a weekend, I would just kind of smash through both seasons. I think they are genuinely... Uh, very enjoyable, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 a fan of the show. Yeah, it's not an outrage to you. It's not an outrage. No, not okay, much, that's good. Not much really outrages me. I'm I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I I always assumed that you hadn't got anything inside. You were like a beach ball, but you know. No, because I worry Cesaro is going to throw me into the audience or burst me or whatever. Resting reference yeah. 101. And you're just. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, oh, my pancreas or something. Yeah, yeah. actually, I got one other thing that I saw that I, I think you saw as well, and I don't think we, anyone's had a chance to talk about on this show. Uh, did you see The Lion King? The new one? Yeah. Not obviously the one the from Lion 1993. King. That would be a bit oh. random to bring up now, but... Um, I mean, I saw that one as well. If you'd much, I'd much rather talk about that one. Yeah, well, I, I kind of wanted to talk about it, right? Because... So I've, been, I've watched all the, the live-action Disney remakes other than Dumbo. I haven't seen that one. I've been told it's terrible, so whatever. Uh, and I actually, I'm not really fussed about the original Dumbo as well. But I really liked The Jungle Book. I thought that was a really well-done live-action remake. And I loved Christopher Walken. I loved Bill Murray. Uh, I thought their performances were tremendous. I was fine with Beauty and the Beast. I did think that... Uh, uh, Watson? Emma Watson. I fucking was gonna think Emma Stone there for a second. Emma Watson. I mean, you did just watch her like for what yeah, was it, twenty four whole hours. <laughs> hey, she's Hermione's me. But I thought Emma Watson was a little bit rigid, I guess. But you know, I think uh, Ian McKellen's in it, and he's wonderful. And um, I can't remember who plays the teapot, but I really enjoyed her performance as well. Um, but yeah, I, I I was fine with that. And uh, Luke Evans is incredible as Gaston. So, right, The Lion King, and Mark Kermode did a really interesting uh, review when he was talking about this, and he was like, honestly, you know, from a technical perspective, it's it's incredible, I mean, it really is, like, it's 
the the backdrops and the whole environment it's just one of the most incredible things i've ever seen but he was like does this thing need to exist and you know can you really call this live action no because it's not live action well no it's it's, it's animation is it does it need to exist no why does it exist so disney can make money naturally right? yeah now here's the thing though like the idea of taking some of these films and bringing them to, to life I'm fine with and again I think the Jungle Book I really like that I'm really curious to see how the Little Mermaid turns up um, when well they that s- seems like quite an obvious one to do the Little Mermaid like yeah. that one's because there's a lot of I mean there's a lot of singing but at least the main character is, is a human being right? yeah and there's and stuff like you know I'd love to see them do Hercules uh, I hope that would Mulan... you didn't yeah. they make that with the rock a few years ago and wasn't it fucking awful well no because that wasn't fucking Disney's rendition of Hercules that was just the rock doing Hercules and yeah it was terrible well, that's my point, though. Like, I well, mean, do people really give a shit about Hercules? Well, no, because that wasn't the Disney version. There was no Danny DeVito, right? So, <laughs> what makes you? Well, Danny DeVito was in Dumbo, and Dumbo was terrible. Yeah, but Absolutely Danny DeVito shocking. in Hercules is tremendous. So, although I've been scarred from Danny DeVito from watching the first four series of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, so uh, maybe maybe that won't work out so well. But one of the things that really just I couldn't get over while watching The Lion King is that, you know, cartoons and and animation in general, like, part of what makes it so fun to watch is that you can do so much with the face and expressions and, you know, you have an animated lion that talks like a human and has the facial expressions of a human while still being a lion, where, because they've gone so realistic with the way that these lions act, for the most part, um, they have no facial expressions. And I think that comes across in their vocal performance as well. Like, Jeremy Irons' a Scar is one of my favourite performances yes. in, an, in an animated uh, setting. Jeremy uh, Irons is a goat bad guy, though. Like, he, he yeah, is obviously. really good. It's him, Alan Rickman, take your pick, you know. Um, yeah. Where here, Scar is just... Like the lines are there still, but they're just a little bit subdued, and you can see that in the facial expressions as well because there are none. That the whole thing just just feels a little bit lifeless. Uh, yeah, the movie was absolute dog shit until Timon and Pumbaa turned up as well. Uh, yeah. Um, who is it? Uh, Seth Rogen Seth and uh, who's the other guy's name? I know he's in Parks and Recreation, but I can't remember his name. I've also forgotten his name, but he sounds a lot like John Mulaney. It's Billy... Uh, Billy Eichner, I want to say. I- mm, Billy Eichner? Something like it? that. Yeah, um, Billy Eichner. But, but yeah. it, I'm sure it's wrong and people are shouting at what it is. But yeah, uh, John, by the way, John Oliver fucking pissed me off so much in that movie. Yeah, it just... I, and it's not... It, I, <sighs> Is he's ruined it? Like when he does his wacky, oh, I'm John Oliver, and he when he's taking the piss out of something on his show, right? I've heard him do that so often that that was basically his voice for the entire movie. And it's like, like it's like when I'm hearing Rowan Atkinson. Yes, I can hear Rowan Atkinson, but it's not like I'm hearing a caricature of Rowan Atkinson. Which no, is but big... it's a performer. Rowan Atkinson was a performance, right? Oh yeah. yeah Whereas of John Oliver was just being wacky, John Oliver. Well, again, I think it just it sounds like a caricature of John Oliver doing John Oliver as you know wacky John Oliver. So yeah, I'm agreeing with what you're saying effectively there. Um, and yeah, I I was really looking forward to that because I enjoy John Oliver and, and his stuff. But he really the the way he approached it, as you said, I yeah, it just it was really jarring. Um, but the film for me was worth it because of the Beauty and the Beast gag that they did. Uh, I thought that was hilarious and 
the the be our guest a little bit they did i thought that was well done but yeah i i wouldn't say the film was was dreadful i just think that um it was the first time that i came out of one of those live action films is like that just didn't need to exist it didn't serve any purpose where i could at least see um I guess part of it is because if you're going to do a live-action Disney film, there actually needs to be live-action characters, and The Lion King is the one film where you can't really do that. And I've already seen live-action uh, Lion King, and it's called The Musical, which is incredible. And I don't know if you've ever seen the musical of that, Jack? No, I've uh, not seen it. It's, it's amazing. Like, genuinely, uh, it's, it's really, really well done. Uh, and that, I guess, is my live-action Lion King. I don't know, man. I'd probably rather just be trapped in a cabinet or something. I, I don't do well with musicals, I <laughs> honestly. I, uh, mate, lots of people get trapped in cabinets, mate. Seriously, lawyers, doctors, dentists. Anyway, like, I, I, I don't know what it is, but when people sing instead of speaking, it makes me feel awkward. We've had this conversation before, now I think about it. I don't remember yeah. where we had it, but yeah, you, you brought this up uh, to my attention, and I... Partly because I did musical theatre in secondary school, but you and the fact that, you know, we were in a band together and I fucking sang in front of you for seven years. Uh, Maybe you were really awkward about that and you never told me, but I just, I don't get it. No, see, but we're doing songs and stuff. We're playing songs like that's different. Like it's kind of like when you're making a song if you go to a gig, you know why you're going there. The sole focus is you're watching the music that somebody's written or it's just performing if they haven't written it, right? When it's like a comedy musical, I don't mind it. It, it It's okay. Or like if my pals are in it, like when you guys did, um, what did you do? Little Shop of Horrors? And it was you as the main guy. I forgot what the main guy's name is. And then Biggs was like the dentist and Owen was the plant and all that. I liked all that. I but, but like self-serious musicals like Les Mis, I was cringing all the way through it. Like, it just makes me oh, don't like it. What about the bit in after in uh, Anchorman where they sing Afternoon Delight? Yeah, because it's done. It's played up for comedy value, though, isn't it? Like again, this anything that's played up for the comedy value of the how ridiculous the situation is. Okay. I, I enjoy it. What about La La Love You? La La, you mean La La Land? Oh, La La Land. Sorry. Not the Here's the song. thing, right? Yeah, La La Love You is an excellent song <laughs> from an excellent album by an excellent band. Very true. But that aside, um, I... like So the first, what, 10 or 15 minutes of La La Land, right? They're all on like a, a freeway and there's traffic and they're like, we're going to LA, la 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 la. And I was like, fuck me. I am... <laughs> I'm, I haven't walked out of a movie and I am itching. Like, my arm was like twitching... Because I went to see it with one of my ex-girlfriends and I, she was like, oh, I really want to see La La Land. And I'm like, wow, you actually want to see a movie? Holy shit, let's go and see a movie. She, she was never really too enthusiastic about seeing too many films. My God. Uh, I was just, I, I didn't know how to handle it. But then it kind of, after that happened, it stopped becoming cheesy. Aside from maybe the thing where they're dancing with the sunset and all of that, which again was another moment where I'm like... I have to sort of put my head in my hands a little bit because I'm like, oh, this makes me feel awful, you know. Uh, I I thought the story was good. And I like the fact that it was a down ending as well. But yeah, it kind of felt a bit like 
the past and the future combining to make something not quite as good as either, if you know what I mean. No, but I I mean the the key thing with this is I'm just I'm trying to get a, a true understanding of your wavelength with what because like for me the thing that I don't do well with is cringe comedy. Um, ah, right. So Peep Show must be a nightmare for you. Yeah, something like that, or you know, in in Jackass, the bits where you know they're dressed up like the the grandpas or the old people and that kind yeah. of stuff. That I don't do well with. I just like it when they land on their heads and punch each other. That part of it I'm great with. But the cringe comedy is where I really struggle with. Um, so I, I know what you are feeling when it comes to the like musicals and stuff. But you know, mine is, is a different thing that makes me feel like that. So I understand what that feeling is. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it feels like I'm in a hubbub of a nightmare. Basically. Yeah, and you just kind of want to kind of crawl into the seat and disappear and... Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Okay. I don't like the sea. I don't, I don't want to get inside it. Okay. Apart from you know, f- f- on holiday and stuff. Well, let's move swiftly on from there, and we'll uh, let's talk about what we've been playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy too. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Jack, what have you got for me? What have you been playing? I haven't been playing a whole lot, to be honest. No? Um, I've, no. Um, I've been playing... The the main thing I've been playing is just to and from work. I've been playing Okia Golf, which is a game I think I've talked about on the show before, which is like a really cool little diorama golf game. And they added a bunch of new levels that I didn't know. Wait, so which one is this? Because one. I feel like I know I've seen this. What's it called again? It's called Okia Golf, like O-K-I-G-O-L-F. Okay, let me find this. <laughs> oh, you're just going to look it up live on air. Okay, golf. Yeah, I, I've seen this, but I haven't actually played it. Um, but I've been mildly curious by it. Yeah, it's good. It's a good game. It's a good game to kill 15 minutes when you jump on a tube and jump off a tube. But I haven't really... Yeah, I haven't really sunk my teeth into anything for a for a couple of weeks now. I've kind of fallen off off the whole video games like normally like you get into a into a video game and like and it's sort of you know you you're inside it like like warm like a kitten and stuff and happy but like there's no way i have been anywhere close i I just don't know what it is you're just waiting for that final fantasy 8 remake (laughs) well i will definitely play that uh but yeah i don't know maybe i've just been i don't know is there any games that have come out recently? Because I know you've obviously got two examples of games that you've been playing. But my thing is, I actually don't think this year has been a great year for video games so far. Um, so what I can actually do is I will pull up the... Um, where is it? Our actual game of the year. Yeah, here's my thing. There's only a few games on there from me and that I really like. Like Ape Out, I... I really liked a lot. Um, Babas, you, I really liked a lot. And there's not like so. Um, oh, I've go got on. on mine. So I've got Ape Out, um, Gato Roboto, Cadence of Hyrule, and My Friend Pedro. Now, My Friend Pedro, I like. Now, next week, I'm going to play through all of Devil May Cry Five. So that okay. will give me, you know, another game to kind of think about. Uh, surely Tetris 99 is going to be on your list. 
no, because it's not a new game, is it? It's just Tetris. Like it's it's still a new game. It's you know no. like I can't I can't look I can't lay into Dave Ryan. Like you know, I did I'm, last I'm year. sure Doom Eternal will be a great game. It's still just more fucking Doom. It's not though, is it? Because it's a completely new game. Uh, Tetris Nine is a completely new game. It's, it's just it uses not. Tetris and it's turns it into a battle Tet- royale. It's still Tetris though, isn't it? Like you know what I mean. It's still the same concept. Not having this. Not having this at all. I'm on your side here, and I don't even care about Tetris 99. I'm on your side here. <laughs> you're Wait, you're on my side? I am on your side. But you said you completely disagree with me. No, I, I completely disagree with you that Tetris 99 shouldn't be in the contention for Game of the Year. I, I think that it should be. It's it's a, it's a it's, its own new game. No, man. I don't agree. I don't want it to be in. I, I To me, that is like a... That's a remake of a game. Like they've they've taken, like Tetris ninety nine is Tetris copy and pasted with an added battle royale element. Doom they've built whole new levels and all of this stuff that they've done and d- written a whole new game. Tetris right ninety five percent of Tetris, much like, but th- see this is even more of an argument with this game than it was and with Tetris Effect. So like I'm even less likely to bend on this. They've just copy-pasted Tetris and they've added a Battle Royale element. That does not mean that it should qualify for Game of the Year. It should qualify for Best Remake. It's not a remake. It's not a remake. It's a remake of Tetris. They've got Tetris and they've added a mechanic to it. It's a hybrid of two types of games being Tetris and Battle Royale. Yeah, but it's a remake of Tetris, isn't it? Because Tetris... Is exactly the same as normal Tetris. The same rules apply. Well, just because it has like one specific mechanic, it's one specific type of thing. Like if it was, um, if it literally was just a port of Tetris from one console to another, then yeah, that's that's what that is. But this, which it is, but without it's not. Battle Royale. It's not the core. The core principle of it is that it's a battle royale version of Tetris. Therefore, a new game. Yeah, I know. But what's the core gameplay of it? Well, what's the core gameplay of Doom? It's a first-person shooter. Yeah, but there's whole new massive le- like it's not just like you hold down button and people die. Yeah, but there's a lot more to it than that. Tetris is just Tetris. Like it's the same rules, the same everything. But it's not the same though because you can fuck over people over. You have to be worried about what's going on other screens. You can there yeah. are additional mechanics. But what's the co- but what's but what's what are you doing when you're doing that? You're playing Tetris. Yeah, you, as in you're it's playing the same Doom. Tetris as it's, always. It's still Doom. It's not that it doesn't work like that. Doom is a whole like that. Doom Eternal is a whole new game with a written with a whole new storyline with whole new levels, different weapons, all of this stuff. Whereas Tetris is just Tetris. Tetris 99 is Tetris, but it's a battle royal. So to me, that's a remake of a game. All right, this conversation is starting to kill me, so I'm going to move on to what I've been playing. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to start with the thing that I've played before, which is Donut County. Um, so my, my, my girlfriend, uh, I had the PlayStation on the other day and I was scrolling past the, the tiles on the main screen and she was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, oh, that's Donut County. She's like, what is it? I was like, well, there's like a big hole and you make things fall into the hole. And she's like, uh, yeah, all right, I'll play that. And then about four hours later, she'd finished it. So, and she doesn't really play video games, but as soon as she saw what the concept was and she met BK, the bastard raccoon, for the first time, she was uh, fully on board. Um, I, I said it all in my review last year and in Game of the Year, but I fucking love Donut County. It's just, it's the right level of weird without being, you know, 
it knows it's weird, but it's not too clever about it. Um, it still is dumb um, in its weirdness, and uh, you know the whole uh, the way that the characters talk. It's it's smart in how dumb it is. I guess it might is the best way I can put it. Uh, and it's such a just simple mechanic that they just expand upon throughout the levels. And by the end of it, you know, it does leave you wanting more, uh, which I think is always better to be left wanting more than to have too much and think, oh, can we just be done with this now? Um, but it is the kind of game where I, if they put a sequel down, I'm, my money is there. Uh, to just there, there, done and down, done and dusted. Um, yeah, I, it's just, and the soundtrack is beautiful, and ah, uh, it's just a wonderful game. Donut County too. Donut Harder. Donut Harder, please. Yep. Return of the Trash King. Yep. Return of the Trashman. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because uh, it was fun watching her play through it. Because uh, it's always fun watching someone else play a game that you've played through and for them to enjoy it. Uh, the other thing that I've been playing over the last week or so is a game called Blazing Chrome. Uh, now, Jack, you don't know anything about this game, so... It sounds like a Motley Crue album title. <laughs> yeah, you know one of those ones where they've got like ridiculous big hair and sunglasses and stuff, like like hair that's like so up it looks like you know the most powerful hairspray known to man I made know, from I, the tears of Robert Smith and shit. I, I think like, it's, just like massive hair. I think it sounds more like a, a tribute to an eighties metal band or um, what the fuck was that metal band that came out. Uh, a couple Steel of years Panther. ago. Steel Panther. It's that kind of thing, you know. Or yeah. it's it's the name of a metal band that Ben Stiller would have in a fucking dodgeball-type parody film about hair metal or something. Um, yeah. But what it actually is, is it's pretty much a, a homage to the likes of Contra and uh, Metal Slug. So if you know what those games look like and play like, it's very much that kind of thing and very much plays like those kinds of games. Uh, and very much, you know, is within the visual style and aesthetic that you would see from those types of games. Uh, so, what types of games are those, Mark? For people that might not be, they would them? be side-scrolling action platforming shooting bang bang type games. I see. Would be the technical uh, terminology that I will use. Um, and do you love things that side-scroll? Do you not? Yeah, I'm. I'm a, I'm a fan of 2D. That's that's. <laughs> That's where my vision is. It's in two D. Mark doesn't exist in three dimensions. No, that third dimension can uh, can get lost as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, it very much uh, fits what you would expect from those types of games. They're very difficult. Uh, it's one shot kills, and you have anywhere from three to nine lives. Um, but it's a lot more lenient in terms of continues and stuff like that. Uh, you know, you've got a, a, just a, a barrage of enemies coming from you, uh, all uh, areas of the screen. Uh, you can um, aim your weapon in all uh, directions uh, around you. So, you know, you can fire from all directions by holding, I think it's the left trigger, uh, to stop and then fire in, in any of the directions. Uh, you can get different power-ups that you collect throughout the, the levels and they have their perks to using them so your normal shot is just a standard shot but you've got like a bomb which is a lot slower but has a bigger blast radius uh you have like a rail gun which is really slow but is pretty much insta kill on anything that it hits but takes a while to charge up and yeah and like visually it's it's one of those games that 
it's looks in, like something out of an arcade cabinet. It's from absolutely the early nineties. Yeah, and that's where the, the the metal slug comparison comes from. Um, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. I don't think um, it's a game that actually could have played on, say. Uh, a turbo graphics or whatever for the time but you know definitely you could see it running in uh, the arcade cabinet at um grandy park which i remember seeing metal slug back in the day when we were like 10, 11 years old doing our swimming lessons uh but yeah it's it's pretty cool it's it's nothing that you haven't seen before in that kind of thing um you know if you want to play something that's like metal slug or a contra then this is a a, a perfect um comparison to have to that i guess uh until what time contra 4 eventually comes out or the the snes virtual console comes out and the metal slug games actually i'm not too sure if there are any metal slug games there may be on the on the switch i know they've had a bunch of stuff come out put everything on switch everything obviously belongs on switch but you know how like um what was the the f-zero type game that they released early on the switch uh what the hell is it called like rmx racing or something but there was an f-zero game that was kind of like f-zero but not f-zero that existed because like there was never going to be an f-zero game in the switch so some guys went and made uh an type of f-zero type game that was like a, a perfect replacement um for the real thing it's kind of like this though uh, you know maybe one day Contra 4 will come out on the uh, on the Switch, but until then, this is a really good replacement for that. So, if you like that kind of game, it's it's a real big thumbs up from me. Uh, it's very challenging. It's a bit short, um, but it's I think somewhere between like 10, 20 quid, and uh, it's you know it's one of those things that I have this. I have the something like Sonic Mania that I'll just if I don't want to play anything else, I'll pick up and play for 10, 15 minutes to kill some time. So, it's yeah, it's pretty cool cool okay and uh yeah i guess we shall from that unless you have any further further news to discuss in terms of games we'll actually move on to the news where we will talk about games how about that <laughs> yeah let's not drop back into the uh, <laughs> tetris 99 combo let's no. save that for game of the year all right then. uh yeah moving on to the news news on the mark Jack Lazell, it is fair to say that Spider-Man has been uh, pretty prevalent in the news over the last couple of days. Uh, we just, as of yesterday, had the... Oh, was it yesterday or the day before? But we had the announcement that um, Spider-Man, as it's in its current um, incarnation in the MCU, um, probably won't exist going forward because of a breakdown in shall we say, an agreement financially between Marvel and Sony about how, you know, who's getting paid going forward uh, with Marvel asking for, uh, shall we say, a percentage of money from any films going forward that Sony, as I believe, didn't even turn up for the conversation afterwards. They just like, nah, we're good, thanks. Um, before that, though, a couple of days prior, uh, it was revealed that Sony have purchased the developer Insomniac Games, who most recently made the last Spider-Man game that was the 2018 Game of the Year for Link to the Cast. Uh, my first response was, wait, didn't Insomniac Games already exist or didn't Sony already uh, own Insomniac Games uh, as myself and some other people already uh, thought? But no, apparently that's not the case. Um, these two things. Uh, now, I don't know if it's purely coincidental, if there's anything more to it. 
I'm going to leave my tin foil hat at home. Uh, but both these things, I know you're obviously a massive Spider-Man fan, Jack. Yes. What do you think about this whole thing? Um, well, so from the movie perspective, I'm incredibly disappointed because they'd really done an excellent job kind of rehabbing Spider-Man after the Andrew Garfield films and people were kind of a bit sick of it. So when they heard Marvel, were going to put Spider-Man in the MCU. Some people were excited, but then there were a lot of people who, I mean, fair enough. were like, meh. Well, I think a lot I've of it seen is two Spider-Mans. There. Yeah. I think a lot of it were people just like, Oh God, are we just going to reboot Spider-Man again? Yeah, exactly. And you know what? They didn't, they didn't um, do the origin story again, which was a good idea. And they just made sort of gradually introduced him, put him into civil war. And then everybody got kind of a feel for him. And then they brought the film out and it was very good. And there you go. Tom Holland, I think was, was an excellent piece of casting and, and did a magnificent job playing the role. And people had a, a genuine bond of affection that they'd formed with him as spider-man and the second movie which we talked about on the show what just about a month or so ago was really good and and had pretty pretty good critical acclaim and like ended on a huge cliffhanger which i won't ruin for anybody but i guess now it kind of almost doesn't matter because we're never going to see beyond that and that feels very very unsatisfying does it not uh, it does. I I like to think that this isn't the the last you've heard of it, and um, I, you know, I can't exactly say that I'm on Marvel's side and by extension Disney's side of this because they have more fucking money than they need. So the idea of them going to Sony, who own the property, the IP of Spider-Man, and saying, "Hey, give us fifty percent," uh, you know, I can see Sony saying, "No, fuck off." Um, but they've played a game where, you know, we live in the day where fan outrage and petitions and that kind of stuff happen very quickly. And, uh, you know, they're playing the game where they're going to get Sony to be pressured into coming back to the table. So I don't think that this is a deal that's done and dusted. Um, on the, the, the video game side of it, the thing that I, you know, as mentioned, I always just presumed that Insomniac was some kind of outsourced Sony development studio anyway. Like, you look at the games over the years, going back to the original Spyro games, Ratchet and Clank, Resistance, um, you know, they're all PlayStation games. And then it was only when we got to the the last generation where we started to see um, ports of stuff like um, Ratchet and Clank was was ported. uh, Sorry, not Ratchet and Clank. Um... Uh, Fuse was between the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. Uh, and then we saw Sunset Overdrive, which was one of the original or early uh, Xbox One games. Uh, and this is one of the things that people are a little bit disappointed about, is that there wouldn't be a Sunset Overdrive 2. Um, but I mean, we'll see what happens in the future with that. So, yeah, it's just interesting to see that. And I guess it's interesting to see what happens with uh, Marvel Spider-Man. And I would guess... If there's anything to grab from this, is that Sony went fuck it? We'll just we'll keep Insomniac, we'll buy them. So you know everything that is Spider-Man related is within our umbrella. Now that is the tinfoil hat on, and the reason why they did this. Um, I don't know if there's anything to it, but uh, you know considering these stories have come out so uh, within within a few days of each other, uh, do you think there's any fuel to that fire? I'm not sure, really. I think 
it it kind of does feel a bit like maybe did they rush it out rush out the news about um insomniac games as a sort of precursor to marvel acknowledging that they no longer had the uh or they were no longer going to feature spider-man in the mcu so kind of like sony thought before because that's gonna sony know that that is going to reflect negatively on them right so they're like right let's get this insomniac press out so we're not saying we're not making um we're not not making the um spider-man games anymore but we are we we have now the exclusive rights to it and also it kind of like smells a bit like well they've got it and they now just don't really want to play ball with anybody and they want it's the one thing that clearly they now see because of the sort of status of the MCU and status of Spider-Man after that incredibly fantastic game. They're like, right, well, this is our cash cow. We are going to milk this cash cow for every single last bit of juice that we have. We are buying Insomniac, so we have the studio that developed that amazing game. We are no longer cooperating with Marvel, and we are just going to sit on a big pile of money, and Amy Pascal is going to be very happy about it all. Is how I feel like. Uh, it's not the most far-fetched theory, um, but and you know, for everything and and again, I'm not exactly on the side of Disney or Marvel here, but yeah, it is disappointing that we potentially could see uh, the whole Spider-Man part of the MCU stop there and then, considering that this would be the second time we've had. Um, you know, a Spider-Man series that had stuff set up for the future that was just kind of stopped in its tracks. We had that with the Sinister Six at the end of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. And we had the whole um, kind of revealing of uh, Peter Parker as as Spider-Man at the end of uh, Far From Home. So it would be really disappointing because obviously they had definitely anchored on Peter Parker and Spider-Man being a very central core point of Phase 4 of the MCU. Uh, And it would definitely just... It would be very weird to have that just kind of like, yep, that doesn't exist anymore. And that would be a real headache to have to try and write around that, considering how far, you know, we had um, uh, the San Diego Comic-Con, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, everything that they announced for the next few years, you know, they definitely have everything in place that they want to do. And and I guess none of it was specifically Spider-Man related, but it's still going to be a big hole that they have to, to work around potentially. Yeah. It's just, you know what you say, you're not on Sony or Marvel side. I'm on the side of the consumer and I don't feel like we've lost a lot with the insomniac deal, but I do feel like we've lost an awful lot with Marvel and Sony not being in cahoots anymore in those movies. And then I wonder, does that weaken the brand of Spider-Man? I mean, Into the Spider-Verse was fantastic, we should say, and that was a Marvel... Um, sorry, that was a Sony joint. Like, they were the ones that worked on that. Um, but <sighs> I feel like Sony could be shooting themselves in the foot because if they make a shitty Spider-Man movie and then no one's interested, then if they bring out another Spider-Man game, then, you know, it just could be diminishing returns. Yeah, and it's not exactly like they have a perfect track record. I mean, Venom, while very successful, was not great, shall we say. I liked Venom because it, it was absolute nonsense. When they stopped taking themselves too seriously, 
if, uh, if Venom came out in 2001, it would have been absolutely fine. But when you put it up against superhero films in 2019 and anything that's been done since, and MCU, you know, they cut, go across the whole breadth of films and tonality between being um, spy espionage with Winter Soldier or just fucking whatever you want to call Guardians and Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy or, you know, Thor Ragnarok. Um, so they have done all of that and they've done them as well as they can be done. And yes, Venom definitely doesn't take itself seriously, but for all of that, it's still not a great film. In fact, it's I think it's three films that have been split apart, put together, and gone, yeah, sure, that, do that. Yeah, fair enough. We'll save it for the Venom cast. <laughs> Which is coming soon. <laughs> okay, moving on from there. So, Jack, did you see the gameplay footage of Death Stranding that they yes. revealed at Gamescom? Okay, right, cool. I'm glad you did, because I need you to talk about this, because whenever I start to think about what I saw or try to talk about it, I do start to have an aneurysm. So I'll just give up a quick bit of the Eurogame report, and then I will let you do your thing. Uh, so... Gamescom, uh, we saw gameplay footage of Death Stranding and uh, there were urination mechanics, Ghost Babies and Jeff Keighley, um, yeah, that I wasn't expecting. Uh, A truly bizarre mashup that sounds like it's straight from a fever dream. Uh, Perhaps sensing everyone is still confused, early today Hideo Kojima tweeted the following. Um, It explains more about the player that is Sam, uh, what he'll be doing, and I think you'll understand the more concrete purpose of the game, followed by a whole bunch of emojis. Uh, yeah, so, Jack, the floor is yours. I mean, what do you really want me to say about, (laughs) again, we really still don't have much of an idea of what the fuck this game is, or what it's about, or what we're going to be doing, or why we have to pee on things. All I know is it kind of looks like some sort of survival-esque thing where you're out in the middle of nowhere and you've got like these weird little baby things in a like glass jar and you there's breastfeeding apparently and I just I don't know I don't know I don't care I'm gonna buy it on day one I'm gonna play it I think the less I understand it the more I'll probably enjoy it as perverse as that sounds i'm just fucking in man i am a hundred percent in for whatever the hell hideo kojima wants to do with with his life because it is always endlessly entertaining to me okay let's let's just right because i need to talk to you about this now obviously part of the appeal of playing this is that it's a hideo kojima game um and it's his first you know massive major thing after the metal gear solid series that is infamous within the world of video games and even it doesn't cross over as much into pop culture but it's you know it's, it's one of the biggest things in the world of video games that you can think of and was, was revolutionary and groundbreaking for a number of different reasons right and wrong in the 90s and through to now um and a lot of that i agree with and some of it i disagree with now death stranding obviously a lot of the appeal of this is the fact that it's hey it's Hideo Kojima with a blank check to go and just make the weirdest fucking thing that he wants. As 
an actual thing to look at that everything that has been presented to you so far are you how much of you is like give me a, a split ratio of want to play this because it's Kojima being weird with a blank check and what I'm actually being shown is a thing that I'm interested in and want to play it is 11 out of 10 in both categories <laughs> that wasn't what I was looking for but okay <laughs> no I mean obviously the Kojima thing is the main reason but part of me thinks like if somebody just presented you this, right, and it wasn't Kojima, but they were like, we're making this game, and everything you've seen of it so far, which it just really hasn't got any sort of defining characteristics of understanding what the fuck this is going to be, you would be a little bit, um, I don't know, like morbidly curious about what the product was, well, right? No, here's the thing. I am morbidly curious at this point. There you go. But I'm not... No, but... No, 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 no. no. But my but is that I'm not in any way inclined to want to play it. Like, nothing I've been shown so far makes me actually want to sit down and play this damn thing. Really? Really, really. Did you not see that you can pee in the game? I'm aware of that. I'm aware that you can piss on things. But it's not like I've never pissed in a video game before. Conker's Bad Fur Day? Conker, exactly. There you go. Yeah. I think there was some sort of, like, that thing from the other day was like, you were some sort of, like, futuristic UPS man, because you make a delivery. So, I don't know, man. I'd, I'd love it if that's what the game was, right? If you were just delivering. What you delivered was those weird, like, glass jar baby things. And that's the whole game. It's just like a really monotonous walking sim where you walk between delivery job to delivery job, handing out baby jars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, like, I'm fascinated to see what this is, um, purely just on a, a, a technical level. Because, I mean, everything we've seen, it's, it's Kojima as fuck as well in its cinematic presentation. And I will always give... Uh, Kojima the credit that he very much has the art form now down of making a video game feel feel like a film again for all the right and wrong reasons because at some point I actually want to play the game not sit there and watch an hour long cutscene so I am as fascinated to see how much he leans into the the cinematic cutscene part of his tendencies which uh, I am not all for but I mean, considering he's got you know a, a real fucking stellar lineup of very well-known actors and actresses, uh, I can see that being uh, something that he leans into, and that's a real big worry for me. Hmm. Still eleven out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be fucking weird. I don't care. I like that. Doesn't make. It doesn't have to make sense to be a good game. No, it doesn't have to make sense, and I—that's not—that's not the thing where I'm coming from from this. But you know, when you make something that is weird for the sake of being weird, or I guess the thing with Kojima is he'll make something that's weird, but there is some hidden meaning underneath that you have to pull back many, many layers to get to, and by the time you get there, you forget what you were doing in the first place. So, yeah, there's a fine line. That's all I'm going to say. There's a fine line. Yeah. Like, like Revolver Ocelot... Put away those Revolver Ocelot biscuits, is, is unnecessarily weird in MGS3. All right? That's what yeah. I'm saying. Look, you're saying Mark Robinson doesn't accessorize. There's a simple truth to him. He doesn't want this weird shit going on in his life. 
Like I'm 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 a weeb boy, but up to a point. You know, One Punch Man is weird, but it finds that right level of being weird. Anyway, moving on to more Two Punch Man. Moving on to more <laughs> too much for you. More weeb shit. Final Fantasy VIII Remastered comes out on the third of September on the PlayStation Four, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Uh, revealed, during, revealed during E3 early this year, the return of Final Fantasy VIII provides some visual improvements over the original, including higher resolution character models, as recently demonstrated with a remaster take on a fan favorite meme. There's a link you can find on the Eurogamer article about this, as well as several gameplay enhancements. Uh, this includes the battle assist, free time speed boost, and no encounter modes as seen in other recent Final Fantasy remasters, as well as other exclusive to the Steam version, such as the ability to max out your guild, magic items, abilities, and unlock all limit breaks. Perfect if you want to circumvent the grid. Uh, Jack, A, which version of this will you be getting? Uh, B, have you looked into any of these uh, battle assists that are... Uh, applicable available and see how much you think i'm going to hate this game because i am going to get this because i've never played it before well i'm of course buying the switch version (laughs) there's only to ask really everything should be on switch this will be the first time in a long time um that i played i mean i bought final fantasy 9 on switch haven't started it yet um i think 7 as well god damn what's wrong with me um but this will be the first time in a long time I've played a Final Fantasy game not on a PlayStation, so that'll be kind of a weird weird jump. But right, so what were the three questions? The three questions were A, what am I getting on? Switch. B, have I looked into these modes? I do like the speed quick mode. Um I very much enjoyed that in Final Fantasy twelve. Being able because there's a lot of sort of open fields to run across in Final Fantasy twelve where your enemies are sort of they're there present with you rather than in random encounter format. So, you know, having the quick thing is pretty handy uh, and, like, just saves a lot of time. Final Fantasy VIII, you've got an airship at towards the end of the game, so that kind of makes things a bit easier. But initially, like, when you're still um, a seed in Balam Garden and stuff and you're running around, it'll probably be better. Battle Assist, mm, no real interest, to be honest. Like, I'd rather just play because i know how to play the game i've played it so many times so i'll just get on and do do what i always do really with it and yeah i think if i wanted to just run through it quickly like being able to sort of turn on all the you can unlock everything right modes would be pretty cool but um no i'm, I'm a purist for final fantasy 8 i want to play it free warts and all and see will mark robinson hate this game um well that's a tough one quite possibly because yeah i don't know i must say though i would be surprised if you hated anything about the first disc the first disc of this game bearing in mind it was originally across four discs because where the first disc of this game right up until the point where there's an assassination attempt on uh, a figure in the game is very 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 good like the story up to that point is really really compelling does it go to wacky town afterwards yes but if you make that jump with it if you're invested by that point you'll probably carry on playing uh will you find elements of the junction system in the game frustrating probably because it's quite complicated and drawing magic is frustrating sometimes but you know Will you enjoy the card game Triple Triad? Yes. 
that is one of the funnest mini games in anything and uh yeah and it has a, a an excellent snazzy theme song as well so yeah i'm very much looking forward to hearing what your thoughts on final fantasy 8 are mark i'm sure you'll get a review of it in 2022 when i finally finish it um I, i'm gonna i'm gonna ring up your work right and i'm gonna pay your wages for like two or three <laughs> weeks right for you not to be there <laughs> so you can play this game oh boy i mean i am curious like i i genuinely enjoy final fantasy 6 like that is my favorite of the series of the ones that i've played excellent game i like final fantasy 7 i wouldn't say <laughs> i love it but i like it i understand why it has the reception and and the uh, the adoration that it has uh, and you know it is iconic for a number of reasons and i wouldn't hold that against it um and i for the 30 to 40 percent of final fantasy 9 that i played i really enjoyed that as well but i am from what i've heard about the actual um like mechanics the in-game mechanics of final fantasy 8 um yeah i'm curious to see how i'll get on with this one me too i think you're gonna love it and then hate it, mm-hmm. and then hate it a lot more, and then stop playing it. Well, I, I will take this time to uh, actually uh, announce officially that next month, uh, to coincide with the 20th anniversary of Final Fantasy VIII, as well as the release of the remastering of Final Fantasy VIII, we will be doing a Final Fantasy month here at Link to the Cast, where for the four weeks of September... We will be talking each week for a book club feature about one Final Fantasy game. Uh, the Final Fantasy games in question will be 6, 7, 8, and 10. Um, and we are going to have a special guest for each of those. So um, we've wanted to do this for a while to talk more about the Final Fantasy games. But uh, quite honestly, myself and Dave are just simply not educated enough to do that on that particular series. Uh, and we're in a pretty good place where we can do that between the guests that we have and noted Final Fantasy expert here, Jack Lazell. Hi, that's me. So, uh, yeah, you can find out and you can listen to that starting from next month. So we're very excited about that. And uh, I hope that you join in to listen to that because it should be a good time. Pairs 2020 to get official Euro 2020 DLC. We have been talking... Uh, Mark, you need to give it its full name. Isn't it eSports colon pro evolution soccer 2020 these days no i'm calling it pairs 2020 because i'm not an asshat pairs 2020 will get official euro 2020 dlc during the second quarter of 2020 konami has announced uh, pairs 2020 is the official video game of the upcoming tournament konami have said with over 50 national teams that will be in the game at launch including current champions portugal with their official kits crests and players jesus you think back to the portugal team that won that tournament wow the announcement comes hot off the hills of a raft of eye-catching license deals from konami uh, it was reported that the comp- company had done a deal to feature Syria A Syria in the game. Uh, it's got Manchester United and, perhaps most impressive of all, a genuine exclusive official license for Juventus, which means the video game rival FIFA 20 has to rename Juventus to Piemonte Calcio, uh, which I think we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I mean, I don't know, like, these days how much... Um, how much bank 
that how much coin the World Cup and Euro 20, the Euro DLC uh, packs make. Um, I mean, I remember back in the day, I just bought the game that was Road to the World Cup 98 instead of whatever FIFA game that year. And I very much enjoyed that because it had Song 2 on the soundtrack. Blur, big times. Um, but I've never gotten any of the, the DLC packs because I haven't bought a FIFA or PES game in years. Um, so I'm going to pass it over to you as someone who does buy FIFA every year. I don't know if you buy PES, but I know you definitely have FIFA. Uh, do you get these DLC packs when they come out? Do you think that uh, PES getting hold of the Euro DLC uh, is, is something that's going to draw you over to that? Or do you just that it doesn't matter to you either way? Do you have to have Juventus in your game named as Juventus for you to have to play it? Yeah, otherwise I'm not buying it. No, I'm not that fussed. Um, I stopped buying FIFA every year, though, about oh, really? three or four years ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'll pick, like, maybe pick FIFA up. I think I picked FIFA 18 up for, like, 15 quid in a ridiculous PlayStation sale at one point. But, yeah, I, I just kind of grew out of playing FIFA all the time. <sighs> I got pretty frustrated that because I did play Ultimate Team for a while, and then originally ultimate team like it was always a bit of a swindle in terms of buying packs and stuff but it just got so egregious that i was angry with it they completely changed the way the defending works and i was like oh, i can't be bothered to learn this which is why whenever i play dave now i'll like maybe take a game or two off him and he'll beat me like three four times to every like one or two games that i win so yeah but uh, aside from me wanting to just beat dave ryan there's no reason for me to buy fifa anymore um pez i'm even less likely to buy so yeah i i think the world cup things are pretty cool and it it definitely would be something that i'd invest in if i had the game so if the game was something that i was playing all the time and it was current i'd definitely buy the world cup thing so i think it it helps me get enthused about the tournament i remember the last um, exclusive like World Cup Euros game I bought was the FIFA World Cup 2010 um, for South Africa, and it had like all of the really cool like graphics and stuff. And they get everything right, you know, like the DLC modes that like the World Cup 2018 ones and everything. It just looks really awesome, and yeah, it just generally builds the excitement about the thing. But yeah, I've kind of gone off football games. I was a big sports game guy, and it's all kind of faded into the background for me now. I mean, there's no good golf games anymore, which is which is my real bone of contention that I've completely gone off that too. So, yeah, I don't know. It'll have to do something to win my attention, though, Mark. Do you think that uh, in the, the general consensus, do you think that adding the DLC packs or any of that stuff will maybe not switch people over that have FIFA, but maybe will get them interested to pick up uh, PES, certainly like later on next year when the the, the, Euro, the Euros actually start. Maybe like people will pick yeah. up PES because it might be a bit cheaper and have the Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, so if you, you know, put the price of PES down, which I assume it will be by then because it's coming out in maybe a month or two, um, and then by the time we get round to sort of april may if you do a deal where you're like right pay us like 40 quid and you can have pez and the euros pack i think people will do it uh, i think it will yeah it just give people a way to to get into the game and again build up that little bit of excitement uh, about an upcoming tournament but fifa's audience is is huge 
at the moment and it would take something a little bit more drastic than just having the euros rights to to steer people away from it i think indeed uh moving on to our last piece of news this week and this is a pretty big one uh we got more um from uh, I think this is from Gamescom, or I think actually Google had some release. I didn't see it myself firsthand. Uh, but Stadia's uh, non-specific launch window steadily approaching. Uh, Google's unveiled a fresh batch of games coming to its streaming service on release day and beyond, including Cyberpunk 2077, Watch Dogs Legion, and more. When we last heard from Google, it revealed that Stadia would be available this November, but only for those willing to purchase the somewhere around the region of £120-dollars uh, Founders Edition Bundle, uh, which with a free version that is scheduled to arrive next year. Those that do opt for the Founders Edition, however, will receive the hardware needed for a 4K streaming, for 4K streaming, a controller, a three-month subscription to Stadia Pro, plus three months for a friend, and a copy of Destiny 2. All other games will need to be purchased separately. So Founders the, Edition. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so the complete list of games that will be available uh, on launch day and beyond looks like this. Borderlands 3, Dragon Ball's Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2, Doom Eternal, Doom 2016, Rage 2, The Elder Scrolls Online, Wolfenstein, Young Blood, Destiny 2, uh, an unannounced game from Capcom, Cyberpunk 20, 2077, Get Packed, Grid, Metro Exodus, Windjammers 2, Thumper, an unannounced game from Electronic Arts, Farming Simulator 19, a game called Keen or Kine, uh, Attack on Titan 2 Final Battle, Baldur's Gate 3, Power Rangers Battle for the Grid, Orcs Must Die, an unannounced game from Rockstar, Football Manager, Samurai Showdown, Square Enix, Square Enix have a whole bunch of stuff with Final Fantasy 15 and pretty much all of the new Tomb Raider games. Super- An unannounced game from Rockstar is yeah, interesting. Yeah, I though. saw that. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be a GTA 5 port or a Red Dead 2 port. Table or Tennis be. 2. Nah, Bully 2. Come on now. Uh, a game called Guilt. Uh, Destroy All Humans. Uh, Ubisoft pretty much have everything you can think of at the moment that will be up there. And Mortal Kombat 11. So... There's a pretty packed lineup. Like, if you wanted to get this on launch day, I don't know exactly what will be there on launch day, but you know, anything that's out by that point will be there. So you've got a fair amount to get your hands on. Now, I don't know if we've spoken, Jack. I know it's been mentioned about Google Stadia on the podcast, but I can't remember who I spoke about it with. Um, a streaming platform and you know the ability to purchase a game that you can stream onto your uh, platform, but you know the the logistics around whether you actually own the game or not, which has been spoken about in a number of different areas. Do you have any thoughts at all about Google Stadia uh, and it being a thing and streaming platform, uh, streaming platforming in general? Do you have to buy each game separately to play it, yes. or do you pay a flat so you would still have to buy each game separately to play so it? So I believe that is the case. Um, because if that is the case, then fuck it. Um, but if but you... keep in mind that the you know there's a free version of the Stadia that you can get next year, um, but the, if you get the Founders Edition bundle... It comes with again the hardware needed to have 4K streaming and a controller and whatever else. Where the free edition, the internet connection required to stream well, in 4K. No, I think you might have to call up your uh, whoever your ISP provider is to sort that out. Yeah, and they'll say, "No, I'm sorry, we don't have the capability." Get a fuck. Yep. 
you want to do what? No, can't do that. You're going to need 788 megabits per second to do that. Um, yeah, I think if you could play a f- pay a flat fee, because the ownership of the games thing is like if you buy something on there, you you really don't own it. You really don't have a physical copy, and you are just streaming it, which I don't like. Like Netflix. I know the deal. I don't own any of that shit. I would pay Netflix seven ninety nine a month. I've got it on two screens. I can stream whatever I like when I like, and I can also terminate my Netflix whenever I like. I feel like if Google Stadia did like 30, 40 quid a month and you had access to all of those games, that would be pretty cool, right? And then you don't have to buy any of them, but you do get to stream kind of whatever you want them. Okay, just to clarify one of your prior questions. So there's two tiers of service, uh, a free base level and a monthly subscription pro level, which will be about $10 per month, uh, which will allow users to access higher streaming rates and access a library of free games over time and get discounts on other games offered for Stadia. Now, the mm. crucial thing there, I think, is what will those fr- what will those free games be? Because, you know, PS Plus allows gives you free games every month and uh, the Nintendo Switch gives you free games every month. But, I mean, fucking who's playing Balloon Fight in 2019? Obviously, the lineup of games that Stadia has is a little bit more... Uh, you know, advanced and whatever from that, um, but it's going to be very interesting to see what that list of free games actually is. Yeah, I mean, it's. I hope it wouldn't be like Nintendo where they're like, "Oh, we're just going to give you all these NES games." Uh, there you go, you fucks. That will hold these SOBs kind of thing, and you're just like, "Oh, what is the point?" Um, so yeah, hopefully there's something, but. Is it really worth paying that £10 extra a month just to have access to, like you say, just old hackneyed games? Like, oh, I've got Far Cry 3. I'm like, yeah, great game, but I've been there, I've done it. So, like, where's the where's the upside in that for me? There really kind of isn't any. So, at the moment, not sounding like something I particularly would enjoy. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I have all of the current generation consoles, so I do clearly have issues with purchasing consoles. Yeah. So, but I mean, the idea, like the idea that um, I could stream whatever, say, uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. I could stream that off of my laptop, which you know, if I had the game on my Steam account, there is no way I could play it off of my laptop at this point. Um, but being able to stream it as it is now like that is something that would actually be quite appealing but if i don't have the connection and whatever else and again the um what rules are there about whether i own the game or not which to be honest to a certain degree i think i'm past that now because you know i buy games digitally and um you know i bought games on my wii and my wii u and you know there's no way i can get a refund for any of those but half those games aren't even available anymore or whatever else and so to a certain degree i'm i can't really make the argument because i'm not exactly someone who lives up to the the words that i'm saying you know i don't buy all of my games uh, physically i do buy a lot of stuff digitally but this is kind of really the next step past that i guess because and we've seen with google in the past with a number of different platforms and, and ideas that they've had that if something doesn't come out of the gates running they'll just fucking cut support from it um very quickly 
and this thing that you've made an investment in in a year's time could just be doa so yeah i i think it's going to really depend on what level of investment they get from players at launch mm. yeah i don't know i, I really it, it's such a it's such an unknown this it really is they need to find that cutting edge to entice people into into paying their hard-earned money and i think the only way that they're going to do it is sort of the hyper word of mouth now that you have if a couple of youtubers that are sort of notable i don't know not necessarily like a pewdiepie but a couple of people of that ilk get into it and show off the merits of it i think that might have more influence over whether it succeeds than whether or not I can get Cyberpunk 77 on it on stream because I can get Cyberpunk 77 on all my current and existing consoles so yeah I think that might be the sort of thing that puts it out there in the end yeah that's true Um, and you you know that they're going to be going after influencers and trying to uh, grab that market so don't worry don't worry they'll be doing that okay so to finish off our episode this week we're headed back to 2002 in a time when Acclaim Entertainment was still a thing and banging out these games what really felt like every week. Uh, we're going to talk about a game during a time where life and us as teenagers, it was all about being extreme as we are talking about aggressive inline. <laughs> Don't sweat the technique. Don't sweat the technique. Let's trace the hits and check the file. Let's see who bit the dot tech the style. I flipped the script so they can't get filed. At least not now, it'll take a while. I changed the pace to complete the beat. Aggressive Inline is a 2002 aggressive inline skating video game. That seems like a redundant statement, but that's what we have there on Wikipedia. Well, no, that is a style of skating. You can't mess around that. I guess it is. Developed by Z-Axis and published by Acclaim Entertainment under their AKA Acclaim label. And released for the PS2, Xbox, and GameCube. The game features professional inline skaters, including, and get ready for this bomb burner list of skate- uh, skaters. By the way, I'm just waiting for you to really fuck someone's name up. Go on. Chris Edwards, Ito Yasutoko, Frankie Morellas, Jaron Grob, and Taig Chris. That's not bad. That's not bad. I mean, maybe it's Taig Chris. I fuck knows. It's, it looks Danish or something. Uh, a different game of the same name was developed by Full Fat and released to the Game Boy Advance. He's actually a Greek Algerian. I'll have you know. Ah, okay, close enough. Uh, I have never seen a different game of the same name that was developed by Full Fat and released for the GBA. Um, so we'll pass on that. Uh, the gameplay focuses on completing goals given by talking to characters within each level. While some goals involve gaining a certain number of points in a specific time, many of the goals involve doing tricks on and off of pieces of the environment. And I'm going to leave it at that because basically all we can say is it's like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, but with aggressive inline skating. Hey, now, now, hey, okay, before you go and say stuff like that, this, right? is the first 
extreme sports game that came out that you had the free roam level concept. Right? This, this is this absolutely is be- true. I will give you this. Th- this is before Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, as you know, is still sticking to the flat. You've got two minutes in this level. You better get around everything you can possibly do and get it in in the time. Otherwise, you're going to have to do it again with the annoying beeping and the counting down of your life, etc. Now, Aggressive Inline was the first thing to go, you know what? Here's a level. First of all, it's fucking massive. Second of all, half of it is locked off that you need to unlock by unlocking things in the other game, which would make it doubly as massive, and then you unlock a whole load of new things. And third of all, no time limit, you just skate around and you try and solve all of the things that are in the level, and we've got a list of them, or you can go and track the characters down and go. Complete free reign to do whatever you want, which now kind of sounds like it's ridiculous, right? Because that's pretty much every game of, yeah, you can just go go off and do what you want and do your goals and stuff but no one had done this yet so this was a completely original concept and it really drew me in and tony hawk's pro skater 4 came out a few months after this and mirrored the same concept i'm not saying i'm sure they were both in i'm sure tony hawk's pro skater 4 was deep into its development by this point so i'm not saying that this game influenced it but in a lot of ways to me it really kicked off that idea in this in this sort of genre and Mark, the levels... I don't know if you remember if you played this game much. Oh, I, I was playing this... Because, um, uh, so, I mean, me and you, we had a, a, a fairly competitive streak for a number of years that spanned across a number of games and platforms from the likes of Mario 64 to Mario Tennis to Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, SSX 3 and Aggressive Inline. So I have a lot of memories of playing this game, playing this game with you, and yeah, definitely um, where Tony Hawk's 3 was the first game where they really uh, tried to expand on the levels and made them bigger. Again, as noted by you, they were a little bit more restricted still due to the the two-minute time limit. Uh, And yeah, Aggressive Inline really did kind of open the eyes to, hey, here is just this open world not open world but open level that you could go and explore and just i played that that game for hours and would still find parts of the environment that i didn't know how to access or would stumble across uh you know during my 10th hour of gameplay on a specific level yeah and the, the fact that there's only seven levels in the game right which at first you might think Oh, seven. That that doesn't sound like too many. But like I said, half the level is locked away from the start. So really, it's kind of like there's 14 levels because so, for instance, right, the second level is Civic Center, which is basically a sort of town square, kind of similar to the town square in Back to the Future. Right. But just a hell of a lot bigger. And then if you unlock the, the Civic Center, you get to go into a train station and then you're playing in a whole massive train station as well with loads of ramps and things and climbs. And, and it is just like a second level within the level and a bunch of whole new goals unlocked. So it, it, even though it's seven levels, it it's kind of 14 and they're all just kind of huge. And you kind of make your way around them. And at first it's almost intimidating how big it is, but the, the levels are just designed so well. And it was one of the first games as well where 
I can remember if you do something within the level, it will like change the nature of the level. Like for instance, the first level is a movie lot. So you kind of start outside and there's a whole, you're in Los Angeles and there's like a whole freeway and then you go inside and you've got like loads of different um, bits and pieces. There's like a graveyard from a movie. There's like a cliff, like a disaster movie and stuff. And then you, you know, you skate around the cliff and it releases things and smashes it and forms different ramps in the other parts of the level and just loads of cool little bits and pieces like that. And like a real good sense of humor with the, um, like, you know, there's a camera guy you do stuff for and he's got that, hey, fast talking, old school journalist kind of speak, hey, kid, like comes up to you and asks you to do bits and pieces. Pretty much everything about the tone in the game, I think, is... Um, is is still very funny the only thing that hasn't necessarily aged well and i mean people are gonna have to take my word for this or you could look it up but it's a weird thing to google the boob physics in this game well i mean like boobs in the 90s and mid 2000s and actually to be fair even these days depending on uh, what kind of game you're looking at like boot physics have always been ridiculous like you look at say the dead or alive series um and the fucking the jiggling is absurd and you just look at the geometry of the original tomb raider games where Lara Croft has two fucking traffic cones attached to her chests so you know aggressive inline wouldn't be the first game that would run into this problem no and apparently they developed the physics for this as a tester for dave mirror's bmx xxx which uh... So, do you know the story about Dave Mirror's BMX XXX? Oh, please educate me. This is what this is about. Okay, right. So, Dave... Uh, let me get the fucking thing up. Dave! BMX, X, BMX XXX uh, was published by... It was developed by Z-Axis and published by Acclaim Entertainment. So, By the way, before we carry on, can I just say R.I.P. Dave Mirror? I was really, really sad as being a person who was into the whole sort of extreme sports x games kind of skateboarding thing in the in the late 90s early 2000s obviously you couldn't avoid like dave mirror being in stuff and it is extremely sad that he was gone too soon uh when he died a few years ago anyway yeah uh everything you just said there um yeah so yeah z-axis made the uh the prior game which was Dave Mirror's freestyle BMX because at that point there was every type of fucking extreme sports game you could think of. There was Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer and Sean Palmer's Pro Snowboarder and just, yeah, extreme sports was all the rage. And basically, so they made the game and then there was a sequel that was on the way and Acclaim Entertainment saw that this game was just really subpar and basically went, okay, let's just make this, you know, have vulgar humor and naked women and just try and ramp up the publicity that people were like oh what the fuck is this and then buy it and then Dave Mirror went uh no I don't want my name attached to this in any way and uh Acclaim went okay sure yeah we'll, we'll take your name off of it and then they didn't and then Dave Mirror sued the fuck out of them for putting his name to that game when he specifically said don't do it so good job there Acclaim you wonder why you're out of business you fucking idiots I mean the Acclaim story is really sad and it it kind of makes me sad that that's probably one of the reasons that we didn't get a sequel to Aggressive Inline was things like that. Um, I I just, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything good to, to say in return to that. But before I move on quickly to the levels, what was your favourite level in Aggressive Inline? 
Uh, I always just like the first level. I, I just liked the... Because like, it's the first time you play the game and you just, again, as you mentioned, you, you open up uh, this game and just you have this massive environment to explore and it's like this back lot of, of a Hollywood studio. Um, and it's the level that I actually did spend the most amount of time on just because I was just so taken aback by having the freedom to do what I want and to fuck around in a way that I couldn't do with a Tony Hawk's game at this point. Yeah, I know, I agree. Yeah, it is spectacular. Mine has to be the boardwalk. So the boardwalk is basically, the level is essentially Coney Island, and you've got like a whole load of attractions that you can do all sorts of tricks off. There's a full-on roller coaster that runs pretty much the whole level that you can then hold on to the roller coaster or sketch as it was in like a Tony Hawk's or, or aggressive inline. You can sketch the roller coaster, you can jump over the roller coaster and you can trick on it. You can skate along on it and it will take you across like basically the whole level and access all sides of it. And yeah, it, it, it just, it looks unbelievable. Like it's just a complete feast for the eyes of color because it, the, it just, the graphics in this game at the time, like, the previous Tony Hawk's games had looked a bit shonky still, but this kind of like it really notched it up to another level. I, I thought the way it looked and the whole general feel of the package. But yeah, I uh, I love the soundtrack to this game, Mark, as well. Well, like, I mean, here's the thing. So this is very much in our, you know, this takes me back. <laughs> very much in the warehouse. And really does take you back to that period of time where we were um you know punk pop music had kind of really come back into fashion and there was uh, alternative uh, metal and rock from the states that was was very much kind of in the mainstream uh and then for us as well watching stuff like jackass and the music and the soundtracks that come from that and obviously playing the tony hawks games you know i hear fucking crawling in the dark by Hooverstank, and as much as i don't care about Hooverstank, i will listen to that song and be like yeah fuck yeah aggressive inline and yeah it takes me back you know that i feel like this game as well they kind of took a flyer on a pop punk band called student rick who have two songs in this game which i absolutely love and fall in for you on monday morning and it was like oh like they you, you hear those songs and you're like well this is ready made to be absolutely massive on a sort of some 41 blink 182 level like they're really hooky really catchy songs and then it just did not happen for student rick for whatever reason i mean for a start terrible band name but then that didn't stop a lot of bands at the time um you had a bit of a hip-hop flavor in there as well you had don't sweat the technique by eric b and rakeem which to this day re remains one of my favorite um early 90s hip-hop songs i think it's just because of the amount of times i heard it while playing this game an idea for a movie by the vandals is a brilliant song passing me by by the far side another excellent so it was a good blend of like new metal hip-hop and punk pop which were all like ridiculously uh as you say popular at the time and kind of fit into the whole aesthetic but mark like inline skating hasn't really t stood the test of time it's not hasn't got the same level of popularity as skateboarding despite all of the tricks in this game being really cool like the wall riding was cool the fact that you could front flip over grinds i really liked because if you weren't quite timing something like the manuals were like balancing on one leg and you could do all sorts of flips and tricks and bends but you know what i mean like if you think about extreme sports like 
you see people on skateboards all the time, right? You live in a city, I work in a city. But when was the last time you saw someone on inline skates? Uh, I definitely would be a while. And I, I think that the and extreme sports in general um i don't think is is as popular as it was uh, oh, back no, in the day and i think a lot of it is just due to the marketability marketability of tony hawks and the you know the the fact that i think it was the right time and the right place that uh, that original game or those first two games at least they're quintessential to the original playstation you know uh, yes. it, it really goes without saying that those two games, and for me personally, Tony Hawk's play, uh, Pro Skater 2, they're some of the most uh, iconic games for the original PlayStation. And the original PlayStation was just massive, you know, it goes without saying, and, and tapped into that uh, kind of 18 to 30 audience that video games in general weren't doing up until that point. So between that and the crossover between extreme sports fans and video game fans and, and jackass and everything else, you just had this melting pot where out of all of those extreme sports, skateboarding was the one that really hit the the, the mainstream, I guess, to a certain degree because of Tony Hawk. And, and simply put, the uh, inline skating or the other extreme sports just didn't have that person that was you know up to that level and i guess dave mirror was the closest one and not tig chris <laughs> no not tig chris or Kenny the, the, Gr- the greek algerian man that he is yeah uh so would I, you I, want to tell me about a2 yasatoku <laughs> I, had, I had nothing to say so i think it's 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 a lot of being in the right place at the right time and that crossover and i i do genuinely think that jackass actually plays a whole lot to do with it as well because that was very much a, a skateboarding uh a publicity for skateboarding as it much was just people being idiots uh you know like bam Argera was i don't want to say professional skateboarder but you know he was a skateboarder that was no also he was a pro he definitely was a pro he was sponsored by element and everything oh okay well fair enough um so yeah i, I think that it, it plays a whole lot to do with all of that if you would agree or not yeah, completely, and and it is a nice little time capsule, but like the main the main crux of it is people still make skateboarding games now, maybe not as regularly. People still make snowboarding games, like we had um, Steep. You know, people still kind of use the BMX, but it just it it seems like inline skating just really there isn't like a boom or a trend for it or anything. So. This one's kind of like, say if you're looking at games of that time, you look at this and you probably think inline skating, meh, and you automatically pass it up, but you would be passing up, like, I I, I genuinely think this game is a masterpiece of the genre, like, I would go as high as to give this, like, nine and a half out of ten, like, if I was going to give it a score, I, I think it's, for what it is, like they get so much out of so seemingly little and it completely took me by surprise when it came out and i don't know if that's the same with you mark but you know when you've got zero expectations going into something and it was i was sat around um my friend sam wigmore's house at the time and he just showed me this game and i watched him play it for five minutes and i walked back and as I was walking back the 10 minutes in my house, I was already formulating ways that I was going to buy this game. You know, I was like 14, 15 at the time. I was like, right, I can fucking beg, scratch, claw, get this money together somehow and buy it. Cause it made that much of an impression on me. 
And even after that, I was so not even remotely disappointed when I bought and played it. And I think the surprise factor with video games really adds to it sometimes, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I I can't remember if I got this game off of the back of you or I got it just because... (laughs) Because I just wouldn't shut up. I was like, Mark, play this fucking game. Yeah, but I think it also is just as much... likely that i got it just because it was another game that was like tony hawks and i was obsessively playing the tony hawk series and stuff like ssx3 that um you know any game that was like that i wanted to play again that didn't expand as far as kelly slater's pro surfer and i'm sorry kelly slater that i keep um using you <laughs> you are really throwing kelly slater under the bus yeah here. i'm sorry maybe i should play that game and, and see what it's actually like but uh oh god it was garbage yeah it was... <laughs> <laughs> wow but kelly slater is a man i'm sure he's fantastic. Uh, I'm, well i'm he's sure i'm definitely sure now. he's a man no, he's, I, I, he's gone completely bald. There you go. See, I haven't looked at Kelly Slater in a long time since Kelly I, Slater's pro surfer. I don't think I've ever looked at Kelly Slater, but okay. In which I'm very sure he had hair on the front, like a big sort of brown wedge of hair. Hmm. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would have picked this up just because of all of that. So, you know, it was definitely a game that came along during that period that wouldn't existed. I mean, it probably would have been made because that was the period where those kind of mid-sized studios were making any fucking game they could get out and make any kind of money from. Uh, and Acclaim Entertainment is the absolute peak of that. So it's yeah. not it's not a game that would come out in, in the fashion that it did today. You know, it would be a, a 15, 20 quid uh, downloadable game from the Switch store or whatever. So, um, you know, it, it definitely goes back to a period for a number of reasons, both in terms of the extreme sports community and just video games in the industry at a time you know it's a real kind of snapshot from that period of time um but it it definitely has its place and it's not as known it's for me it's kind of like extreme g is to wipe out what aggressive inline is to the tony hawk series Uh, and i think all of those games hold up uh really well so yeah aggressive inline it's a goodie uh i'll give you the elevator pitch if you want to play the precursor and the chief influencer of what became of the tony hawks pro skater expansion into going just from beyond tricks into actually having a little bit of a story and a little bit of a free roam element if you want to play a game where the level design is extremely artistic and everything that you do has absolutely no gravity and absolutely a hundred percent fun if you want to play a game where you are pummeled with brilliant punk pop and nu metal and rap from the early 2000s if you want to play a game where the physics of boobs are just ridiculously off the charts and if any of these areas then diagram overlap for you in the middle is the game aggressive inline you should go buy it you could probably get it for like one pound 50 in a cex somewhere on a shelf and you know what there's probably a guy behind the counter and in cex will take a look at you pick it up and go nice and that level of satisfaction as well everybody loves having their choices validated mark so go out and get aggressive inline a beautiful story and we will sign off by telling you that you can listen to this in a number of different platforms. It doesn't matter how you're listening right now because you're listening to the show and that's good enough for us. But if I'd you like want... it if someone had bootlegged this show somehow. <laughs> Do you know what? Bootleg it if you must. I don't care as long as you're listening. You can find us on all 
podcasting platforms you can think of. We're on uh, Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud. Go and listen. Pocket Casts is the way that I listen to my own show. Go and find us, go and listen. If you're on iTunes, give us the old uh, rating, uh, the five stars. I don't think we've actually done that in a while, Ask people to go and do that. But go and do it, because it all helps. Um, as mentioned, we have the Final Fantasy series coming up in September. Uh, we will have friend of the show Peter Willington back in October to do a game that I'm really looking forward to talking about. So we've got some really good stuff lined up over uh, September and October and uh yeah hopefully we'll have dave back on the show next week um, hey mark were you recently a guest on on peter willington's podcast i was jesus christ you do the plugs for this and for what i do better than i do yes i was on the most recent edition of peter willington's show staying in where you can find me being all Markodian about uh the 20th anniversary of the matrix as well as talking about baba is you uh, and a couple of other things that we were talking about so go and listen uh, to that show because peter willington is one of my favorite people one of my favorite guests on the show and his podcast is generally very 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 good so yeah that's our and is available on all types of platforms similar to this one as well putting him over absolutely huge absolute legend on that note, uh, we will be back next week with another installment of Link to the Cast. Uh, until then, my name is Mark Robinson. You can follow me online at Lithium Project. The man across the airwaves is Jack Lazell, available at Jack Lazell on the Tweet Machine. Uh, Jack, any final thoughts before we sign off? Yeah, um, I wouldn't want to leave the pod on a down mate, so can I sing a song? Please, please do. Turn around. Every now and then I get a little bit lonely and you're always coming round. Mark? Um, are we leaving at that? I wasn't I wasn't singing with you. I thought you were just going to do this. Oh, right. I thought you were going to come in with the next bit. No, I was just going to sing and the then we could, And then we can do the bright eyes bit together. I've been talking too much. I can't sing at this point. Okay, Certainly not Bonnie, fucking Bonnie, Bonnie Tyler. But Bonnie Tyler, mate. I've also not had enough red wine to sing like Bonnie Tyler. And that's why you don't like cricket.